0: The more elegant she is with her no, the more often he's going to ask. so if if a, if a woman says an inelegant no to a man, like a no in a way that makes him feel bad, he will never ask her again. And this is how you erode a relationship erodes over time the bandwidth of what's available gets smaller and smaller and smaller over time because men are actually incredibly sensitive creatures. We think that they're not, but we are. and sensitivity is actually a man's gift
1: hi everyone and welcome to the deeper podcast a podcast for all of you who want more more out of yourself your relationships your intimacy and life my name is sophia Zefina and i'm here to bring you deeper I'm a sex, life, and relating coach, and I'm fascinated by all things masculine and feminine and bringing the two back together, helping people connect on a deep and real level so we can show up for each other, partner with each other in our healing, and call each other back into our power. A very important part of that for me is honoring both sides, the masculine and the feminine, creating more understanding, more compassion and respect for each unique experience. And so in this series, I'm speaking specifically to men to honor them, to hear their perspective and how they go through relating the feminine life. Because so often we have demonized and devalued men in their experiences, needs and struggles. And I want to change that. So, I hereby welcome you to my deeper into him podcast series, and before we get started for all these conversations, I want to give a bit of a disclaimer because I realize that this conversation about men and women, masculine and feminine, can sound both heteronormative and gendered. Bear with me, masculine feminine dynamics play it out in every relationship, so when we speak about men towards women. I hope you can hear it as being the partner who is more in their masculine and the partner who is more in their feminine, and this very often has little to do with gender. In addition to that, I do want to acknowledge that men and women have completely different societal expectations in the world, and because of that, different lenses. For instance, we tell men they should man up and women they should smile more. In that sense, some of this might be gendered, but I hope for people outside of that binary perspective that they might still feel some truth in any of these stories.
2: Hi everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of The Deeper Podcast. My name is Sophia Zofina, and today I'm joined by Damian Bowler, and he is the founder of Evolutionary Relating and an epic writer on Facebook. He writes on all things relating attachment, intimacy, and brings such, such depth to this conversation. I'm so, so excited to speak with him today. So Damien, welcome. Hi, good morning. <laughs> good
0: morning. Good morning, good evening for you. Thanks for having
2: me. <laughs> yeah, I've never had somebody with such a time difference. It's 10 p.m. for me and I think 8 a.m. for you. So like, this is like the only time that was like reasonable on both our sides. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'm so grateful to have you in your early morning. Hey, for people who don't know you, would you mind introducing yourself and maybe what you are creating, what you're building right now?
0: Um, introducing myself. So I'm a human.
2: Hi, human. <laughs> that wasn't obvious.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't obvious. I'm a human in a male body. Um, I'm, I'm approaching 40 years young feeling like I'm just getting started in life. Actually. Mm. Um, I was born in France, but grew up in Australia. Um, I had a a difficult early life. Um, and then I kind of fled Australia in my early twenties and ended up living in Asia for a long period of time, Mm. um, for, for a big part of my, my twenties and then returned to Australia and, um, started getting involved in the, the work of authentic relating and some other intersubjective practices, uh, circling is another one of them. And that was like almost 10 years ago now and started facilitating small groups and um, started developing small communities around where I was living and just experimenting in that, in that field. So I've kind of been facilitating authentic relating and circling and intersubjective practice for almost 10 years now. Uh, and then this year after having fled Sydney once COVID all hit and moved up to northern New South Wales, Byron Bay, which is like paradise, like we're in a little Mm -hmm. paradise bubble here, which is amazing. Um, I spontaneously, I'd I'd originally worked in a business with a couple of colleagues around teaching this kind of stuff, but we decided to part ways, and I fled up here and suddenly I spontaneously found myself creating a business I didn't intend to it wasn't on my agenda I actually just had a desire to make some money to buy some supplements because I was feeling like Sydney had taxed me Mm. and I was like maybe I'll just run a workshop and the workshop idea was going to be on a weekend but people weren't available so I was like maybe I'll just run a course over five weeks you know one night a week and I put it out there and within within five days, I'd like sold out. And I was like, it was a total mess. I was tracking people, like sending me bank transfers and PayPal and direct messaging <laughs> with everyone, not knowing what the hell I was doing. You know I, I, you know, I facilitated for a long time. So that part was fine. I knew how to deal with the content, but I didn't know how to deal with running a course. I mean, I had a little bit of experience from the, the prior one and marketing and everything, but I didn't even do any marketing. It just sold out i suddenly i was like i was keeping a note like you know notes of everyone i just went and looked at it. i was like oh my i'm sold out like what happened how did that happen um and so i started that course and it went so well like it was so beautiful and everyone was mm-hmm. loving it that i just decided to run another one straight afterwards and that sold out so i ran another one and that sold out so i ran another one and so i have just kept going and now i'm running two at a time and plus I have the second course in the curriculum running as well. And that's sold out and I'm like, okay, this is happening. So it's like, I've been building this, this, this course and this curriculum and it's a curriculum that I've wanted to teach for a long time. And I've just gone, okay, now's the time to do it and now's the time to put it out. So I've kind of been building it on the fly in this kind of minimum viable product way mm-hmm. where I'm just each, each iteration, it gets more refined, more nuanced. Um, and I also have, just made decisions around how I want to operate from a place of generosity so people mm-hmm. who sign up to the course there's they have lifelong access to all the material as it evolves and there's a little growing community of people who've been through this that's now starting to develop and we're talking about now our first time of um, probably having a gathering you know there's like there's like a hundred people since you know mid-june wow. that have been been through this now um, wow. yeah. So that's, that's what I'm
2: up to in the world. <laughs> I love how you're building community and how it's just happening. I think a lot of people in this business can be very like the bro marketing and trying to build something that like there's a demand for. And I love how it just happened for you. And you're just building and flowing with it. And I'm like, okay, I guess we do another one. Okay, we do another one. And just feeling that you're so supported, right? That you're so supported when you flow with
0: life. Yeah. totally totally and i'm you know I'm, I'm passionate about building community because you know i just want to build i want to be there's certain types of communities that i want to be in so i just like okay yeah. i'll try and create them but i have no desire to be a community leader or be the head of the community i don't want that so it's like for me it's putting effort into this community development until the point it becomes self-generating and that's mm. what I'm most interested in, like really empowering other people to step up into leadership and create things if they want to from that space, you know, and I want to be in it. I don't want to be running it.
2: Mm, I love that. That's so gorgeous. Hey, before this, we uh, we dropped in a little bit and I asked like, yeah, hey, what's the life in you? And um, you mentioned something very interesting. And I'm actually really excited to speak with you about this because well you spoke about like the dogma that can be very much in the relating field right now and it's like a lot of people are talking about the masculine feminine and attachment and like all these like structures and archetypes and you know you know i work mostly with masculine feminine and i love also being challenged on this and to bring the nuance and to deepen it so Yeah. What have you got on that? What's the, what's the dogma you're seeing? What's what's, what's frustrating
1: you? (laughs) Tell me.
0: Yeah. I woke up this morning for some reason, I just felt frustrated around some of the messaging that I've, that I'm starting to see. And like the, the, there's almost like a zeal, like a, like a fervor, you know, I'm using these words dogma, zeal, fervor, which have very traditional, Roots. They're very, you know, this is w- where the church comes from. It's like it's almost the new age church, and you know, m- masculine, feminine, and polarity seems to be the new, the new church um, of which everyone's, you know, laying their gifts at the altar of or something of, you know, and the <laughs> king and queen and the divine mass and divine and the the master codes and all of these things. Um, and it's all fine, you know. Like I don't, I don't necessarily like polarity is a very interesting thing, you know, embodying the archetypes of these sovereign, sovereign beings is an interesting thing. I don't have any problem with it, but it's it's when we become convinced that this is the way, this is the thing, and I become completely fixated so that everything fits into this narrative. And I and I start to espouse this from a place of zeal or fervor where it's like it's all about this and it's rigidly about this. And if it's not about this, then it's not correct, you know? And so, like, masculine-feminine polarity, like when we talk about strong polarization in relationship, and I've written about this as well, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's something very interesting to me. And there's a lot of people who are really into this. But, you know, like I was reflecting in the sauna before this call, you know, around this um because we message a little bit more we like okay maybe we'll go there you know my my parents don't have a particularly polarized relationship but they've been together for you know 40 years and they're fine they're happy their relationship is functional and it works yeah. so polarity it, it's something that's interesting but it's not like if you don't have it that's it you can't have a relationship no you can i know people who are kind of more androgynous in there and they're you know, and they're not necessarily, they're very gender neutral or, or they're, they're playing with non-binary structures and they have relationships that are really fulfilling and meaningful to them. It doesn't matter, you know? And then there are people who have polarities in the opposite way. You know, you have the women who are very kind of masculine oriented and the man who's a bit more fair. It's fine. It doesn't matter that much. Yet, it might be interesting it's like, you know, it's interesting to me just because that's something that feels like I want to play with. It's edges that I want to play with. But do I yes. wanna rigidly be the masculine pole of our of a relationship all the time? No, that that feels constrictive to me. Like, and so yep. I operate a lot from um, an integral perspective working from Ken Wilber's integral theory, spiral dynamics, some of these developmental psychology models, that that's only one of them. There's many of them. And generally when anyone starts looking at adult development, and there are a lot of researchers out there who've done this kind of work and and articulated in a very nuanced way, there's generally a point where we enter an integrative capacity in our mind, which is the ability to start seeing the gift at all prior stages, and we become way more fluid. And from there, mm-hmm. I can be like masculine and strongly polarized one minute and then a sobbing heap and needing to be held another minute if that's appropriate, you know. I've been, um, I've been thinking about business, for example. Mm-hmm. I run my business in a very feminine way. It's super flowing. I have no time structures. I just kind of go with whatever feels alive in the moment, and It works it works for me and I like it and I hate scheduling, you know, I won't schedule more than two things in a day because I want that ability to flow. Um, and that's, and that's fun, you know, and I, I wouldn't want to do it any other way. I've tried and it doesn't work for me and my particular archetype. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah I'm so glad you're talking about this before I went into masculine and feminine. I got, I was very like, into all the attachment theory, I thought, wow, this is so interesting. This is so rich. And this may sound like this really strange comparison, but for instance, I have a background in statistics and the more I went into statistics, the less I understood about it. And Mm -hmm. actually I think what happened in attachment science for me was like, yes, the moment I understood it, I also saw that the world was way more fluid than that, but it was a structure to initially understand the world in, and then I could see the fluidity, and it's the same with masculine and feminine for me. Now, the deeper I go into masculine and feminine, I cannot tell you who's leading the energy anymore because they're both doing it. It's yeah. not that the masculine's leading at all; the masculine's listening,
0: yeah,
2: right. And I I can't tell you where the leadership comes from because it's it's not that clear to me anymore. And in my own relationship, like we're so aware of the dynamics are so present with each other in that that it can switch every minute. And sometimes yeah. we're also just like two normal people on the couch, and that's also healthy. So it's a framework and it's also, I think it can be abused and, and, you know, nothing is your guru, like not attachment science, not polarity work, not whatever writer whatever, like nothing is your guru. It is just a framework that you can use the use to structure your understanding of the world with, and then to also be able to let it go. Right. Yes. I have an anxious side. I have an avoided side. And sometimes I don't know. But it helps to recognize when I am strongly in my avoidant or when I'm strongly in my anxious, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's obviously one. And I'm so grateful for that, for that discourse, for being able to catch myself and then to be able to give myself that genuine care that that actually needs, yeah. but to always think like, oh, I'm the for instance, I'm the more avoidant in the relationship that would actually set myself in a, in a, in a, it would force myself into something. When actually it's way more fluid than that yes sometimes I'm more avoidant sometimes I'm anxious and sometimes I'm it's not that clear and that's okay it doesn't always have to like fit into these structures so I very much uh, I very much appreciate that you're talking about these things because it can be and it's like the new hot word and and totally. see it for what it is
0: yeah yeah I see it there's this there's it. there's two things that like I want to speak to there mm-hmm. the first is, something that I think about a lot is, is a distinction. A distinction is when I create a boundary around something in order to understand it. So a concept is a distinction. And I, and I get the concept and I want to, I want to make the edges of that concept so we can look at that concept in isolation from the rest of the universe. Really, there is no distinction. Everything is one fluid flowing phenomena that does happen constantly. But, In order to understand it, I want to look at the distinction. And it's like there's a process by I create the distinction, I look at that really good and I get a very strong sense. And the moment I I really understand that distinction, it kind of, I lose it. It it becomes no longer relevant. And And then I'm like bigger than it. And that's what you're saying there. And then there's another process by which we develop where we move through a process of identification. So I'm identified with, my anxious tendencies, for example. Mm -hmm. And then I start differentiating from that. So I start making object of these tendencies inside me. I start understanding them as a phenomena. Mm. And in that process of differentiation, I actually create separation or space from it. Mm. And then at some point when I'm really differentiated from it, I actually start integrating it back in. So I take the wisdom or the gift from it. That becomes part of who I am. And I'm now identified with a new place. And then I do it again and again and
2: again and again. Mm, I love this distinction. I love this thing. This is how I was trained as well of like the not to dissociate from these parts of yourself, but to see like, hey, yeah, there is a there is a part of me that can be anxious sometimes. That part of me, the moment I can I can create a bit of distance, I can actually take care of it because I have a relationship with it now instead of being it. Now relating to it, and in that relating, it actually becomes part of me. I love how you described that. That's so beautiful. That's so. Well, it has me. Yeah, go on. Well, it has me now.
0: I want to go like a little bit, a little bit deeper into into that that thread um, mm-hmm. with attachments here. So it's interesting. So, um, if we're looking at the gift of it, so I have a, you know, I have a working theory in my mind that that anxious. Anxiously attach anxious attachment is a. Um, I'm just going to turn some. There's one app that I have that doesn't. It I can't silence it, so I just have to <laughs> like, close it down. Don't know why. Um, so anxiously attach anxious attachment is the wounded feminine. That's yes. that's what I'm thinking. Whereas avoidant attachment is the wounded masculine. Yeah. So. So. And the reason why I say that is that if we look at the fundamental, if we go all the way down to like really fundamental polarities and like pre-masculine feminine, pre the notion of masculine feminine, there's two drives that occur inside of, I'm just going to give one technical term, the idea of a holon. I don't know if a you've hol- ever heard of the idea. Yeah. Of a holon. A holon is the fundamental unit of reality. Mm. A quantum physicist, if they keep digging down all they're ever going to find is a whole on an astrophysicist. If, if they keep going bigger and bigger, all they're ever going to find is a whole on. So a whole on is simultaneously a hole and a part. That's what a whole on is. Everything is a whole on, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a cell or an atom is simultaneously a whole and part of a molecule. And a molecule is a whole and a part of a cell, and a cell is a whole and part of an organ. An organ is a whole and part of a of a being, right? So a whole on is a fundamental unit of reality. And there's particular structures that exist inside of every holon. on and so a relationship is a whole on for example so a whole on one of the one of the things that occurs in a whole on is there's a dynamic tension between agency and communion that is mm-hmm. present in every single like element of reality it's in tension between agency and communion we can look at an atom for oh, example beautiful. there's tension between the proton or the nucleus and the electron. They're in tension with each other in this dynamic tension. One wants agency, I just want to be independent. The proton is actually pushing the electron away with its positive charge. And the electron is being drawn towards the atom, the, the, the proton and the nucleus with its negative charge. It's wanting communion. And so they're in this tension and it's, it has to be balanced in order, if it becomes imbalanced, it becomes disruptive. You know, If there's too much agency, it just breaks apart. If there's too much communion, it merges. Mm. So we can look at that from t- in terms of masculine and feminine. The masculine is agentic, it holds a pole of agency. The feminine mm. is communion-based, it holds a pole of wanting communion. So if we have attachment issues, attachment concerns, the wounded masculine is avoidant. It's become pathological agency. It's wanting agency at the cost of everything. It's like hyper protective of agency. Yeah. And then there's more layers under this. This is kind of like the most simplistic layer of what's happening inside attachment. Whereas the anxious attacher is wanting communion. It just wants to merge. It just wants to be one with and to to the exclusion of everything else. It's, It's not balanced in its own internal agency and communion. So we've got two kind of imbalanced holons trying to make a relationship with this which is a on, but it doesn't quite, it can work, but it works in a very like, it's kind of magnets that are flipping around rapidly. Sometimes they're pushing each other apart. Sometimes they're way too stuck together. They're not in this right dynamic tension in which it's going to be like mm-hmm. stable. A stable hold on and this is where we want to go with polarity so this is why polarity is such a buzz it's like we don't want to do the anxious avoidant thing because that's a wounded version of of a polarity it's a, also a polarity right you know it's a oh, polarized yeah. relate <laughs> an anxious avoidant relationship is a polarized relationship yeah. you know but it's not necessarily a very healthy polarized relationship it's not necessarily going to give us what we want yeah
2: i love that you described it as that i love that you because i've always We thought like, yeah, the anxious feels like such a feminine thing. It's like, I want more love. I want more love. Why are we not connecting? Why are we not connecting? I want to feel you. I want to feel you. And the avoiding can be like, no, 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 I don't need anybody. Right? You need to take care of you. This is codependent. You're needy. I just need to do my own thing. I was like, oh, I've always seen that very much as a feminine and masculine. And then when you said like, yeah, it's the wounded feminine, the wounded masculine, I could very much feel that. So what is the... um, Let's make it a bit more practical. So I think a a situation I'd love your view on is here's how I've always dealt with the triggers of my partner. So if my partner, let's say, was in an anxious trigger, my rule has always been that they have to deal with the first wave themselves. So the intensity, the first intensive, like, I want to text you. You're not texting me back. Where are you? They have to hold that themselves. I cannot hold that for them because the moment I do that, I become their parent or their therapist because of the intensity. Afterwards, when it's a bit more integrated, then, of course, share and, and, and we partner in the, okay, like, like I'm, I'm going through rough stuff. But in that, <gasps> I am not, I'm, that's not where you go to me for and I've, ha- I've been challenged on that many times of like, that's way too strict, or that's way too harsh, or, you know, like, where's the partnership in that? But I have to admit, I've also noticed it's made me a lot healthier and made my partner a lot healthier. So as I am now a bit more on the avoidant, it's also my responsibility to hold my initial impulse of like, <sighs> space I'm going to leave to actually hold that and stay in connection and be like, okay, I want to run, I want to run, but I'm going to hold myself through this. And then from that place, discuss what my needs and boundaries are. So I'm super curious what you think about this. If you think this is like too harsh and like, this is way too like maybe avoidance at its peak, but
0: (laughs) are you, are you open to being challenged?
2: Yeah. 100%. (laughs) So,
0: so, so something you just said is if you, if you take caretake, their anxious wave, you're acting like a parent, right? Yes. Yeah, but I would also posit that if you go, you have to deal with this on your own, you're also acting like a parent. You're acting like a parent that says you have to go and cry on your own. Put the baby in the room and let him cry it out. So in a way, when we're in those triggers, we are triggered into a child state. And yes, we don't want to go into caretaking parent or Abandoning parent. We don't necessarily want to be in the parent, but there is medicine for each other. Actually, what heals the anxious person is the medicine of the avoidant, and vice versa. So, what heals an anxious person is when an avoidant person shows up. And what heals an avoidant person is when an anxious person shows up and shows up in a very particular way. So, in that sense, for me, there's something very simple. As an anxious person, I'm more on the anxious side. Mm-hmm. It's very, very easy for, to deal with that, actually. It's not difficult mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. All the avoidant person needs to say is, I hear you're triggered. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. That's it. As simple as that. Like, I'm here. But... If the avoidant is also triggered, that's the last thing you want to do. Why should I do that? They should take care of their own stuff. I don't need, like, <laughs> I'm not responsible for them, right? But this is also a trigger. Why, why should I be responsible for them is the avoidant trigger. Yeah. So that the avoidant is in a triggered state as well. So we have to kind of learn to lay that down and go, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And then the medicine that the anxious gives the avoidant is like, you can have space. I'll be here when you're ready to come back. You know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to, you know, the anxious gets upset. You know, the avoidant turns away and like goes, I don't want to do the thing. And then the anxious goes, oh, fuck this. I'm out as well. And then they leave. And then the avoidant goes, oh my God, you've actually left. The avoidant doesn't want to be abandoned too. Nobody wants to be abandoned. And so then the avoidant goes, oh, I better get them back and I'll seduce them back. And they're very good mm-hmm. at being seductive. I'll Thanks. seduce you back, and then the anxious comes, and we have this push-pull dynamic. But the anxious can be the medicine to the avoidant by going, like, I know how important it is for you to need the space that you process at a different speed than me, right? You pro- you take a longer time to process. You need time in your own space. You need time to feel yourself. You need to remember. Because people always think that... Um, that the anxious one is the codependent one, but it's actually the other way around. The yeah, avoidant is the codependent. The anxious is the addict. So codependency comes from an addicted relationship. The anxious is the addict. They're addicted to the avoidant and the avoidant is codependently caretaking and enabling the addiction. It's a very, very bizarre dynamic. So the anx- the avoidant one tends to lose themselves in the relationship. They will abandon themselves in the relationship in a way that the anxious doesn't recognize, goes, you're not even giving me anything. How can you call that abandoned? But the avoidance already going, I've given you everything already. And the actress goes, no, but I want more. (laughs) I want more of you until there's none of you left and I have consumed you inside of me.
2: Yeah, I noticed in my own avoidance, like I actually feel overly responsible for their feelings, for their state. And that's why I pull back because I'm like, you're hurting and that's maybe because of me that's too complicated so I'm out because that's that's too complex and I actually can't I, I'm actually more enmeshed than I because my previous relations I was actually quite more on the anxious side I feel more enmeshed now with the avoidant than I did it's the anxious it's the anxious you're right it's more I call it my kryptonite I, I become obsessive it's like an addiction I'm just like give me more of this pain <laughs> right and it's mm-hmm. not and, and actually, the enmeshment more on this side. And that's so interesting because we, we think avoidance are aloof and they don't care. And no, it's actually they already care way too much and they've already lost themselves. And they need to defend that kingdom again of like, <laughs> I need to like make the boundaries because I don't feel like anybody else does.
0: Yeah. And then, and then under that, they're terrified of losing the other person. That's where, that's why they become enmeshed. It's like, actually the avoidant really doesn't want to lose the other person. But, but when it starts to become too hard, it's almost like I can feel myself starting to really care. I'd rather lose you now than, than feel the pain of you rejecting me later. So I'm going to drop you right now because I can feel that it's just getting too hard, and you're. I'm not going to be able to give you what you need, and as a result, you're going to abandon me eventually. So I'm just. I'm out. I'm out before that even happens.
2: Yeah, I know. So, the, so,
0: you're, yeah. so you're right when you say when you say the anxious needs to take care of that first wave for themselves. There's a rightness in that. There is a rightness in that because that's the medicine for the avoidant when I go as an anxious side is when I go, you don't have to caretake me. I've got me and I'm actually here for you. You know, it's like the avoidant needs to learn to be more vulnerable in the relationship. And the anxious needs to like actually learn to listen better and not make it all about themselves. The anxious wants to be, it's all about me and my wound and me. You know, it's like slow that down, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, how do we? I think this is a tricky one because I've I've been really going into the topic of why we attract saviors or therapists or how we get into those type of relationships. Um, In in my own history, I have been in that many times as I was younger, uh, either being the coach or the savior myself, or or being being saved or or this parental relationship. How do we? I think my question to you is: How do we show up as partners to each other as sovereign adults mm. Mm. and become like, know what, when that falls, when that drops into parental or coaching or therapist or savior category. Um, because I think that, like, I, I love, for instance, the book, like getting the love you want, like, like really showing up for each other's healing and seeing relationship as, as the platform also to, to work on your healing uh, consciously and intentionally. But I've, I'm I honestly haven't been able to define yet what makes it this like unequal when it becomes savior?
0: Mm. Mm. Nice. I just want to go full disclosure. I'm like working all of this out myself. Like I tend to have a mind that, that, um, that makes sense of patterns really, really yeah. well. So I make mm. sense of patterns and I can articulate them, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm always embodied in what I'm making sense <laughs> of, you know, I'm working it out. There's like, a there's a lag, there's a lag time, right? So there's a lag time. Okay. So Yes. It's a full disclosure for me. It's a good question. How do I stop being... So are we asking how do I stop being the savior or how do I stop being saved or both?
2: Maybe both. Yeah. Both. Okay, first question. Why do we attract someone that that saves us? How do? Why does that happen?
0: Well, I'm going to attract someone that saves me if I if I fundamentally believe I need saving for starters, you know, mm. there's a, there's a part of me that, well, so the, the thing about attachment is we're looking for a mom. We, we did not receive complete attunement by our mother. So we mm. didn't get, we, we missed some fundamental stages in our formation by the fact of incomplete attunement. So we're missing structures in our own childhood development and we're looking to have those structures filled in. And because we don't know how to do that for ourselves yet, we're looking for someone else to basically complete that through a mirroring process. Mm -hmm. So when I am unconsciously, Looking for the mum. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm. going to talk about looking for the one instead. This is a new saying that I have. Uh, you know, when we're looking yes. for the one, we're actually looking for the mum. You know, we're actually going, mom, yeah. where are you? I need to. Yeah. You know, yeah. tell me that I'm a valid human being. Essentially, that's what we're trying to get. We're trying mm-hmm. to be validated. So, mm-hmm. misattunement as a child as a child is a subtle invalidation, and to a child's developing brain, says that two things arise from that. One is the, a deep anxiety that I'm going to die. That's, that's what, that's where anxious, anxiety comes from in attachment And both anxious Mm -hmm. and avoidant are are fundamentally anxious. They're both Mm -hmm. anxious, right? Anxiety Mm -hmm. is permeates right through insecure attachment. So there's a death anxiety. My brain is literally telling me I'm going to die. Every time I'm misattuned as a child, I'm going to die. You know, no one's there and I'm going to die. And the second one is the shame of if I'm not being attuned to, perhaps I'm not worthy of being alive. So at the core of insecure attachment is anxiety and shame. So we're trying to resolve that and we're trying to have someone tell me that I'm worthy of being alive and kind of retune our nervous system. And so if I'm unconsciously doing that, I have this idealized projection that somebody is going to show up and just they're going to be perfect and they're going to do it all for me. And I'm going to get to regress to my infant stage and be completely taken care of by this savior. Right. And that's the bump. You know, I want to regress to the infant stage and just let this person take care of me. Mm. doesn't work though. Cause, cause nobody can be that, you know, nobody can be that all the time. We're all messy. We've all got our stuff going on. This is where working with therapists who understand how to work with really early attachment trauma is good for a period of time you know i spent i spent a good six months going quite deep in sensory motor pre-verbal kind of therapeutic spaces so people who work really from pre-verbal areas sensory motor somatic somatic experience somatic psychotherapy now these kind of things is really valid to kind of sort that out and then we enter the possibility of meeting someone as an equal and meeting someone as an equal to me, well, it doesn't necessarily resolve us insecure attachment. It requires like to become securely attached requires hundreds and hundreds, perhaps thousands of repetitions of secure experiences. Mm. We need a secure mm. experience over and over and over and over again because we're actually rewiring our nervous system. Our nervous system needs a, an overhaul. And so we need, it's, and it was wired over thousands of or hundreds and hundreds of thousands of repetitions of misattunement, wired it to do what it does now. And all the stuff that happened afterwards and all the kind of reinforcement that happened through later childhood, teenage, early 20s, where we didn't know what we were doing, we just kept seeing the same path. So we, we have thousands of repetitions of misattunement happening inside our nervous system. So we need thousands of repetitions of attunement basically so this is where the work that i do comes in you know we don't necessarily need a romantic partner to do this we can do this for each other we can provide secure experiences which are regulatory or co-regulatory experiences so we have a nervous system that's designed to be in co-regulation we we are a social being we live inside of a social organism and we regulate each other's nervous system you can't do it on your own We need, in order to thrive optimally, one of the quadrants we need to thrive is to be in regulatory, co-regulatory experiences with other humans. So we need thousands of repetitions. So we can do this with friends who are aware, with communities who are aware through, you know, the courses that I teach is all about this. You know, it's not necessarily to deal with attachments, like positioned as a communication, authentic relating course, but actually, it provides this, this is what we're doing so that we can become regulated human beings. And when we're regulated, our prefrontal cortex comes online, we're more socially engaged, we're spontaneous, which is what we really want. We don't necessarily want just polarization, we want spontaneity. I wanted to say that earlier and we can go into Mm -hmm. that later. Mm -hmm. Play and spontaneity and we're creative and our intelligence is online and we actually have the opportunity to thrive. So where this happens in a romantic partnering is we need to learn to validate each other's reality. We need to give each other regulated, attuned experiences, which means coming back to the example of like, if someone's triggered, the best thing I can do is just mirror their trigger back to them. I'm hearing you're triggered and I'm here. And and then I just reflect or mirror, or if we're able to be in physical proximity, we can do co-regulatory touch. We can sit shoulder to shoulder, back to back, or lie in a non-sexual embrace. Without any of the stroking or caressing, we just hold each other, and the triggered person can put their head on our chest and listen to our heartbeat for an extended period of time, an hour, an hour and a half, without moving, without Mm -hmm. doing anything. Even if you fall asleep, and the nervous systems will come into a wave. And so if we're triggered, the first thing we do is drop everything. No discussions about why we're triggered, no discussions about whose responsibility it is, no discussions about whether we should be in the relationship or not. Forget all of that stuff and regulate first, and then we can have the conversation. Because mm. if we're in a trigger state, our wounds are talking to each other and they don't have anything productive to say.
2: I love that. I love that. Like, I'm taking away from this so much. Like, when I'm in that trigger state, like what I initially said, like, you just have to like take care of it yourself and come back. Like, no, the intention is let's regulate maybe me with myself or me with my partner. Not it's not about the story of the trigger. Let's first feel that our nervous systems are calming down. And then we can discuss like, hey, I'm feeling insecure because And I wanted to drop back in on what you were just saying. Like I when I met my current partner, he was so safe. But I wasn't used to that yet. So honestly, it took me Three quarters of a year before I actually started dropping into the secureness of this relationship, I was on edge, I was expecting him to be whatever I've been used to. And I noticed that I was constantly like, see, see, there you go. See, there you go. And that's really harsh to be around because I was like, see, that's where you're wavering. See, that's where you're unsafe. See, that's where... And he's like, No, I'm not doing any of these things. I'm here. And it took so long for my system to actually start relaxing and then honestly i'm only there get, getting there now and i'm like oh right i'm okay there's somebody safe here and it's 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 okay everything's okay and it took so long and i for a long time just practiced telling him all the things that i was expecting him to do it's it's some part of me it's like oh, i'm expecting you to get weird or expecting you to shame me or whatever it is right And I kept just speaking it out loud. And that also made that he could mirror me, right? Exactly what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I hear that you think I'm gonna shame you. I there's nothing in me that wants to shame you, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, right, okay. So this isn't this isn't real. Okay, great, okay, great, okay, great. great." And I think a question I have related to that is it's a topic I'm still also exploring a little bit, is we are all looking for this like safe, mature, maybe polarized relationship and like secure relationship. Honestly, when I had it, like when I met him, it wasn't as sexy. Mm -hmm. I wasn't as switched on because I wasn't in a stress state constantly. I wasn't like, what's this guy doing? I have no idea. I wasn't in that. I was like, okay, you choose with me. Okay. And it wasn't as sexy. It wasn't as fiery. And this is also where I find the whole narrative around like what love is and like, it's like love at first sight. I'm like, he's the one I can see like chemistry. This like big thing, like he's the one, or like I you feel like home, or I feel like I've known you my whole life, all of that is honestly a sign often for me that it's a trauma bonding. Right? Mm-hmm. We're hooking into something. Like, if I feel like he's like home, then probably reminds me of my home situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. so to the the book, Deeper Dating also writes so beautifully about this that like the stable, secure is not as fiery. -hmm. And we're not taught that, so I think maybe my question is to you: is why is safe not so sexy, or Mm -hmm. how do we make safe sexy again?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's great. There's 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 like a lot in there that I want to speak to. (laughs) First thing that comes, like I I've I've done this for years now. I've constantly I've I've come out and kind of polled women: what is the thing that you're most attracted to? What what makes you say yes? Ubiquitously, it's chemistry, and I'm like cocaine is chemistry, you know, take a line of cocaine and you will have chemistry, right? You, you're just flooded with dopamine and it's basically an addiction. You're basically getting addicted to being high off your wounds being activated. So that's one thing. It's not It's not a good marker. And the second thing, it's like what I hear, hear in, in you there as well. It's like, I hear a lot of this I'm waiting for my king or my queen Mm -hmm. or I want the divine woman or the divine man to show up. And it's like, if they showed up, would you actually see them?
2: Would you know, would you recognize them? Would you know, would you
0: actually recognize them? And probably not because you wouldn't feel activated. You'd be like, Oh, I'm, I don't feel that interested or drawn to you right now. That's good. I would question that. I would go, okay, well, maybe I'll get to know you more. And like what you said, took, three quarters of a year you don't know anyone for a long time you know this idea that like i knew straight away it's like sometimes it can happen you know sometimes it can happen i don't want to say it i don't want to be dogmatic and say never um (laughs) right yet in my experience it's like if i'm running my insecure attachment pattern i i I won't know who i'm i just i'm it's a projection for, for a long period of time of dating someone, I'm dating a projection, the projected fantasy of who they think they are, or even more accurately, who I want them to be, you know? I'm dating who I want them to be and I'm painting all my hopes over on top of them. And eventually I'll be disappointed when I go, oh my God, it's actually a human under there. You know, it's not, it's not my fantasy. You know, it's not my Disney story. Um, so... What was the last part of the question again? That's where I like, wanted
2: to get. Why to. isn't safe sexy, or how do we that's make right. safe sexy?
0: Yeah, so like you, like you spoke to in your relationship, when secure does come up, you're going to want to test it. We're going to test it over and over again because this is what insecure attachment does. It's like yeah. I don't trust you, so I need to act out. I need to throw childhood ch- ch- childlike tantrums in order to see if you're actually there or not you know? And what happens is when we're misattuned as a child, those tantrums escalate in intensity. You know, every time I'm misattuned, I'll, I'll throw a bigger one next time. The anxious person, they they get enough feedback, enough of the time to not shut down. So they're, so they're used to throwing tantrums. The avoidant, did not get what they needed. So their tantrums got so big, they got to the point of what's the point of throwing a tantrum anymore. That's where the avoidant ends up. There's no point in throwing a tantrum anymore. I'll just shut down instead. So that's an an avoidant tantrum is a shutting down. You know, I'm not interested. I've, I've got, here's my long list of why you're not an acceptable partner, go away. That's an avoidant tantrum. It looks very calm and composed and the new age spiritual world, particularly in tantric communities, exalt this polyamorous yeah. community. It's oh like, this is how you want to be. No, you won't ever really have yeah. intimacy in that place. Um, yeah. Because we're going to resist, like you said, against security. And we're going to think it's not that sexy because we won't be activated in intensity. And the activation and in intensity is like, it's like, it's like, we're wanting to be non-consensually taken into our polarity. I want Oof. you to push me into my polarity without me having to do anything about it.
2: Non-consensually taken into our polarity. Oof. yes. God, that's sorry, what feels <laughs> hot
0: about it. Well, that's what feels hot about it, right? It's like, I have no control around what's happening. You know, I'm out of control. Like, mm. you know but we know where that ends up, right? It doesn't end up in a good place. It ends up pre- pretty fucking painful. Like it hurts in the end. It's devas it's devastating and it can ultimately be quite traumatic, you know? People take their lives over this. Yeah. You know, people will suicide at the end of these kind of relationships. I had one not that long ago that was that devastatingly intense. This is what led me deep into going I'm never having that happen again. Yeah. It, it sent me into PTSD state, which was the most severe hellish experience I've ever been in. You know? So we're non-consensually taken into a polarized relationship. We don't want that. We want a conscious consensual polarity. So, What something that I, another phrase, I love coining phrases. I don't know if other people use them or not, but I like, I think I come up with them and go, yeah, I'm owning that. And then (laughs) I know someone's already written about it, but one that I love is consent isn't very sexy until you say yes. Ooh. Right. Once you say yes, if I'm a secure person, I'm not going to non-consensually push you into polarity. I'm just going to show up and be like, I'm a man. I'm here. You know, I'm interested in you. And you'd be like, oh, that's not very sexy because you're not like pushing me into feeling feminine. I'm like, no, I'm not. And then you go, if you go, yeah, I'd, I'd like to meet you there. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm, you know, I might say something like from now on when we're in the bedroom, you never say no to me. You can mm. ask me why we're doing something. You can tell me how you feel, but you never say no. And you go, okay, I'm okay with that. You consent to that. Okay, now we're playing the game. Oof. I'm not going to force you into that game because that's a form of rape. It's a form of energetic rape, you know? So you, you know, if we're doing masculine feminine polarity, particularly the woman, the woman's consent starts the game. She has to say, I'm a yes to this. I'm a yes to you taking me into my polarity and then we can play. But until she says that she won't get a strong polarity from a secure man.
2: You're blowing my mind, Damien. (laughs) <laughs> this is that. Uh, <laughs> this is exactly like, honestly, what I've what I've been getting annoyed at, maybe frustrated with in the in what I see in the feminine happening is that there's a passive acceptance of whatever the masculine gives, and then a resentment that it's not enough. So it's like, oh well, he never does foreplay, and I'm like, but you are an active participant in the polarity. So if he doesn't give you the foreplay express that you are not delighted by what's happening right and not the, like yeah we well, never does any shitty no in the moment let him feel it because then he can reattune to you mm-hmm. and it's kind of this like yeah this very passive victimized thing of like no all these men are not showing up for me like but where's and, is and, and,
0: an, and an entitlement
2: yeah where's your active participation like all that like i i have a like a little crusade against the goddess empowerment because it It's a masculine, it's a toxic masculine energy of like, I'm queen and I want my king. And it's like, yeah, but are you treating him as a king? Mm -hmm. Like, you want this like perfect man, but you're not a perfect feminine either.
0: Yeah, unless unless you're Scarlett Johansson, forget about (laughs) Jason Momoa. You know, forget about him. He's not for you.
2: Yeah yeah exactly like in this, like oh i need a man to like fully show up for me like i'm guiding like i'm getting a group of women exactly through this inquiry like what in you is not going to attract the perfect man right what is he not going to be attracted to you and it's not to make you wrong but it's just to bring the humanity back again because there's a sense of entitlement often in these conversations, especially in the conscious community like i want a man who's fully present who's fully this it's like where where is his humanity and where like Where's your own humbleness? Of like, oh yeah, but I'm also here with my like pains and my triggers and my this and my yeah. that, right? And we come yeah.
0: together in that. It's it's another twist on the savior thing. Actually, I'm mm-hmm. saying, I want I want a man to save me, you know? Yeah. And that's not going to be a conscious man. That's going to be someone who'll end up abusing you ultimately. Yeah. 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 Um, and then it's, you know, it's the same. It's like, I want a man to be fully present, fully attuned to me, everything. It's like, well... Are you fully receptive? Are you fully open to him? Are you completely embodied in your ability to be ravished open? No? Well, then don't expect one, you know? But if you're a little bit, then expect a man who's going to meet you at that level and play from there. And that's actually more fun because then we get to grow together, which is an interesting one, you know? Like for me, I want to grow with someone. I don't want the fully formed perfect perfect human being because then I'm like, well, it's done. Like, what are we doing And then it's a now?
2: teacher-student relationship.
0: Yeah. And then the teacher-student relationship, you know? It's like, because I'm not that. And, I, and I'm and i I'm growing. I'm a dynamic phenomena, you know? I'm this constantly transforming phenomena. And I want someone who's also a constantly transforming phenomena. And I'm like, oh, let's play from there and see what happens. Um,
1: mm.
0: Yeah.
2: Beautiful, Damien. I have one last question, which might be a little bit unrelated might feel a bit unrelated but it's something i'm just so interested in hearing your point of view on and that is let me see how i want to phrase this i've noticed in my personal life and a lot of what i hear around me in this like masculine feminine relationships is that the feminine often feels pressure into intimacy when he is just expressing his genuine desire And there's something deeper in that, that also in this whole goddess empowerment scene, when a woman asks for something sexually, it's empowering. And when a man does that, it's pervy or whatever it is. And so a topic I'm exploring for myself is like, why, like maybe there is a pushiness to it that that might also be true, but why have I, or have so many women or so much of the feminine encoded the masculine desire as pushy? as I have to give this to him and now I don't want it anymore. What's happening in this dynamic? And maybe the deeper question is, is how can you from the masculine or from the, what were you calling it? The agency Mm. express your desires in a way that feel inviting. Maybe that's my question. Yeah. What comes up for you (laughs) around this?
0: It's a, it's a big one. It's a, it's a painful one because I've had, I've had experiences even this even this year, I've had experiences where I've expressed my desire in a way that I felt very clean and no pushiness, and just kind of here and had significant backlash against it, you know, like one instant that was just like way out of proportion. And I was just like, what happened there? And that's exactly what you're talking to. This sense of like, and and I believe it's a reaction to what we've seen in Western mm-hmm. culture, which has been a masculine pushiness, you know, this yeah. undertone of rape, yeah. this undertone of yeah. masculine, just kind of taking what they want and this hyper sexualization that's occurred in our culture right through our media and everything that, you know, as a man, I've had to decondition myself from sex being a marker of my success as a man, you know, like that's what we're conditioned with. You know, if you want to look at conditioning, the women are conditioned around their image and the men are conditioned around their success and their status. And it's basically the level of seduction that you're capable of with women determines how successful you are as a man. So there's almost this push that we, we're we undergoing as a part of the culture in which we all exist and we all co-create, not men, not women. It's a co-creative culture that we're all part of and we're all participant in. Um, and we're not, if we want to end our, just a side note, if we want to end our victim narrative, we got to stop going, Culture is doing this to us and realize oh. that we create culture. Culture is created by us, it's not done to us, you know. So if we want a different culture, then let's just do different things, right? You know, we have that we have that power. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a man, it can be really painful because yes, we we will get shamed for our expression of desire in the postmodern milieu, which is the one that we're swimming in, which is if you go if you go down a stage and you look at some of the environments that are not going to be look, listening to this podcast, you know, they may be coming out of it into this, but then it's not their interest, then it's a different story. So we have to look at stage mm. appropriate kind of dynamics. And in this particular stage, yes, there is a dynamic that shames male se- sexual expression and exalts female sexual expression. So we can start to all create less attachment around what sexual expression means. Celebrate sexual expression, sexual desire without attachment to it mean eating an outcome. And I can do this as a man. I can go, I desire this. And if I can genuinely not be attached to it, then it's probably going to feel nice and feel more inviting. And so that's my work as a man to do that. If I'm going to express something and then you say no and I get hurt, well, then there's still attachment, you know. Can Mm. I express my desire in a way in which I'm not going to get hurt by your no? And that's deep work for a man. There is a lot of, particularly if, you know, like me, I'm more on the anxious side, which one of the symptoms is this nice guy. I don't want to go into that too much. But, you know, we have this nice guy phenomena. It's actually an attachment wound. It's an anxious mm-hmm. attachment wound that yeah. causes the nice guy, right? It's not, it's not the nice guy, is some manipulative, creepy person. He's just a, someone who hasn't learned to deal with his feminine wound yet. Um, so there's a whole long experience of rejection, you know, that, that has to be dealt with and worked through and learn how to – can I feel the pain of not getting what I want without the narrative that makes me a bad person as mm. a result of that? So it's like mm. kind of a, a separating these different streams of experience that occurs as a, as a result of, you know, an interaction. So that's that's my work as a masculine. And as a as a woman mm. on that side to support that dynamic is to appreciate, like, If a man makes, uh, expresses a sexual desire, that's because he is seeing you in a beautiful way. He is seeing some aspect of beauty and he wants to get close to you. More than likely, Mm. the desire for sex is a desire to be intimate with you, to be close to you. And even if you might not want to share it with him, to feel like what you're doing right now, to be like, I'm touched that you want that with me. That actually feels really nice. I don't feel that way. I don't, I don't feel reciprocal. You know, I wouldn't necessarily use these words, but this is the kind of dynamic to be like, to, to let that touch you and go, yeah. thank you for your desire. Like it feels good to receive your desire. I don't want to act on it, yet I honor it and I appreciate it. And I let it, I let, I let myself res- receive it, you know. The antidote for women, female entitlement, and if you want, you know, the kind of man you want is to learn to get really fucking good at receiving
1: mm. and
0: receive from every man, you know, whether you take them, you can receive their desire and go, oh, that feels nice. I don't have to act on it. I don't have to just because you express the desire. And I said, you know, that doesn't entitle me, entitle you to get it. And the no doesn't mean, you know, we're in a culture where a woman saying no to a man doesn't mean he's going to like beat her face to a pulp now, it doesn't happen in our culture anymore. So we have to rewire that deep trauma inside of us. You know, that is a deep trauma. A woman scared of saying no to a man because he will just take it anyway, or he'll abuse her. That's, that's inside of her nervous system. So that's her work, right? The man's work is to deal with the wound of rejection. The woman's work is to deal with the, on um, the fear of like, I'm going to be, abused if i say no if i exert my boundaries i'm going to be abused so i'm going to have to do it in quite forceful or negative or really harmful ways and then we're just going to hurt each other again um yeah
2: oh yeah mm, damien uh i so this is my uh, this is one of the things i've um, one of my phrases it's that the more he's okay with her no the more she can say yes Mm-hmm. and i felt that in my own relationship like he's so comfortable with my no that i'm actually way more inclined to say yes because i know he's going to be okay with my no He's i know he's also going to be okay if i change this him and it's like i genuinely feel that so i can play more with where i'm at and so mm-hmm. i and otherwise i would just like shut down cuz i'm like oh, no i like uh, better to shut it down now cuz otherwise he might get upset right and and and, and, I love also what you said earlier, like this is very specific to which I don't know what the word was that you use, I've forgotten it, but to which to which dimension or what were you saying, what stage we are speaking about? And I think that's a very important nuance like because of course, like every woman still like I had it the other day, like a guy like whistled at me on the street and I ignored him, and then he became aggressive, right? And like, this is not for that case. <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah, is he's, he's operating he's operating and it's like you're walking down the street through a different world you know it's not the world that you live in socially <laughs> but you still have to interact in these other worlds yes. and that's a whole different discussion of like how we would would relate through all those different stages but i just yeah. want to like i want to add something to what you just said i love what yeah. you just said but that's that's like it's like one side, and I really think we need to keep speaking to mm. both sides. You know, yes, it's please. not just men have to do their work and women don't in this way. You know that mm. there's there's a really strong feminine shadow of entitlement that we've we've spoken to. So it's like the more elegant she is with her no, the more often he's going to ask
1: Ooh. something like that. Ooh-hoo-hoo. I love
0: that. So if if a a woman says an inelegant no to a man, like a no in a way that makes him feel bad, he will never ask her again for that. He will go, that's a thing that's out of my radar. I'm never going to ask again. And this (laughs) is how you erode a relationship erodes over time. The bandwidth of what's available gets smaller and smaller and smaller over time because men are actually incredibly sensitive creatures. We think that they're not, but we are. And sensitivity is actually a man's gift. You know, when we're in right relationship, we're sensitive to a woman. We become so fucking attuned to a woman. If we get into the really deep polarity, a man can take a woman to where she wants to go before she even knows she wants to go there. You know, but it's actually where she wants to go. I'm just so attuned to the subtleties that I can, I can read the non-conscious. I I get I get mastery of reading the non-conscious from the conscious
2: of listening right? if it's like listening to the to, to the space the energy to her just deep that's deep right. listening the meditative that's listening right. that's right it's that's exactly it
0: and at the same time when a woman is destructive with her nose when her nose are, are like recoil when they send a shock wave when there's like as a man like a hard no it will feel like a severing it'll be like a shock wave through my system and if i get that i'll go i'm just never gonna ask again That's off the radar of our playing field. And it may be just a contextual thing for her, you know, and that's going to be really sad. And, and, you know, I can hear the feminine side, the woman side almost going like, well, that's his stuff to deal with, you know? It's like that's going to get you a certain set of results if that's what you believe, you know, and and that's going to have you entitled to act what you want and look for the saviour. You know, you're going to then be looking for the man who's perfectly formed, who's going to take you all the way into yourself without you having to do a damn thing. You're not interacting with a man anymore. You're acting with a fantasy, interacting with a fantasy. So her side of the street needs to be clean also. And she needs to be working on that. And that's the elegant, the elegant no. Boundaries, you know, in the model I teach, boundaries should feel good. Boundaries are what mm. create intimacy. Boundaries mm. create intimacy. Boundaries don't disconnect from intimacy. If there is no boundary between you and I, there's no ability to feel intimacy. Yeah. So it's the, the boundary that the boundary is, I use a cell analogy to describe. I love looking at cells and atoms and everything. So I use a cell analogy just to, to describe boundaries. Every cell has a boundary ar- around it. And that boundary is a semi-permeable membrane. So it allows information in and out of it. And that boundary around the cell is what allows it to function as an independent cell and play a very important task in a body. You know, that's what we are. We function as an independent being playing an important task in this humanity, this culture, this collective that's waking up to itself very, very slowly. I wish it would happen faster. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually happening faster and faster, but you know, I want it now already. Um, It's my impatience. Um, and it's that level of differentiation that allows us to have intimacy that allows us to touch cell to cell boundary to boundary so if we don't have boundaries we have codependence right and a wall people mistake in in i see this all the time people think walls are boundaries people think a boundary is all about your nose and your i don't want this and your push away that's not a boundary that's a wall and a wall happens when there is no boundary People who put up walls have no boundaries, right? Yeah. Boundaries are very elegant, fluid, dynamic, context-dependent arisings, mm. and they feel good, and they allow information in and out. I have a boundary around what comes out of me too, you know, which is called containment.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. I love that. This is, this is so, there's so much wisdom in this. Yeah. Um, Someone once taught me this like metaphor and I think it's so beautiful. Like if you give children a field to play on, this gigantic field, they're all gonna huddle up together because the field is too big. If you put walls in it, they're all of a sudden now gonna use the whole space because they know where the boundary is. Like it's the same in kink and all these kind of things. Like when you make the boundaries very clear of like, I'm okay with this, I'm not okay with this, all of a sudden there's this space we can play in. So this, like uh, yeah, I can often see it in the nice guy or in the in the also in the pleasing feminine. Boundaryless. Like, no, 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 whatever you want, whatever you want. And then it's like, but where can I go? And it's for me, like the pain for the feminine towards the the nice guy is that I don't trust that you're going to take care of yourself. So I now have to be hyper-aware that I'm not crossing maybe a boundary that you didn't speak of.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Totally. And so I can't surrender because there is this unspoken thing because you must have boundaries somewhere there must be a place where something's going to hurt or i push a button or i do something you don't like but you're not taking care of it so now i have to do it and so now i have to manage way too much and i actually can't like drop into anything and it actually feels unsafe like i've Mm -hmm. said this many times boundaries are so sexy because Mm -hmm. it's actually like okay you've got you great Mm -hmm. now i don't have to do that okay now we play yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, we have a, I want to talk a little bit more to the subtlety <laughs> yeah, of that, right? So there's, there's a couple of things in there. One is, I, I love what you said, limitation creates freedom or creativity. Limitation gives rise to creativity is what you're talking about, the, ba- yeah. the boundary around the field. And that's one element of boundaries. So that is one element of boundaries. And then I also want to point to the, the hard no. Mm-hmm. The hard no happens because I'm scared that if I don't put a hard no, you're going to consume me. It's actually my lack of boundaries that caused me to have a hard no, right? Yeah, because I am I am terrified that if you get too close, I will lose myself. That's a lack of boundaries. Yeah, mm. so I'm gonna have to keep I'm gonna have to keep you really far away from me in order to not get lost because I actually don't have boundaries. I, I'm not mm. able to protect myself. So what an what a what an actual elegant boundary looks like is, I'm with you, just for example, and you're in a triggered state and you're getting reactive and you're projecting on me and you're saying nasty stuff to me, my boundary is not like you need to stop that or I'm going to leave. That would be an example of what we would call a boundary. That's a wall actually. And that's probably going to send you even more into your intensity. A boundary is, I don't even need to say a damn thing. Your experience of intensity doesn't go into me. What goes into me, it's a filter, right? So what goes into me all of your all of your reactivity the the negative words that you're saying stay on the other side I'm not taking them in personally I have strong intellectual and emotional boundaries they don't come into me what comes into me is your pain and I go oh you, you're scared that I'm leaving right now and I'm able to say that because I have boundaries I'm able to go you're you're actually feeling really afraid right now you haven't said anything about fear you haven't said a damn thing about fear. You're just saying, you suck, blah, blah, blah. You know, you never do this. You never do that. And I'm like, you're hurting right now. Mm. And then you're like, oh, fuck. You know, it all comes crumbling down and we can be in intimacy again. And I can only do that if I have a boundary that doesn't take your, your barrage into me. And that's what I have an intellectual boundary. So I don't, I don't take your personal criticism and insults into me. If I had no boundary there, they'd go into me and I'd start going, oh, I'm a terrible person. I've done this. Or I may go, fuck this person. This is too hard. I can't deal with all your shit. You're, you're a bitch, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to like start. My meaning making is I've taken you in and it's starting to stir on that. I've lost my boundary. Or emotionally, I'm starting to get triggered and I'm starting to feel really angry or something like that. But if I have a boundary, I don't need to say no to you. My My no is embodied. My no is to the reactivity and it's not, you shouldn't be reactive. It's just like your reactivity doesn't touch me. What does touch me is the reason you're reactive is because you're hurting right now and you're scared and you're scared that I'm going to leave you. And I might not even i might not even say, I'm not going to leave you. I'm just going to say you're scared. I'm, I'm going to validate your reality. You're scared I'm going to leave you. And you're like, I am scared, you know, that is true. And I'm like, yeah, it makes total sense when I didn't do this thing. triggered something in you and it makes total sense Mm. why you feel that way and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna validate validate you calm this is regulation right this is a Mm. regulatory experience your nervous system calms down and then we can make sense of what actually happens Mm. but that's that that's a boundary yeah this is so beautiful i often translate this in like
2: where are you giving your power away and this might not sound so related but it it to me feels deeply related it's like I can be angry at you, but in that I'm actually giving the power. It's like, oh, I'm angry because you weren't present with me, right? Mm-hmm. But in that, it means that I'm only going to feel better when you all of a sudden like fix that and you are present with me. Or I'm angry because my parents weren't great, right? I'm so angry mm-hmm. that they weren't great. There is a power that I'm giving away there, whereas I can also say, like, I know I deserve better. And it hurts, and, and 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 I feel anger that that did not happen. But the con- it's not so much a conversation; it is an internal thing of like, yeah, I feel that anger because I love myself and I'm a valuable human being. And so, it's always like anger can sound really empowering, but it's actually a giving away of the power because I am fighting with you, and mm-hmm. it's only going to resolve when you change.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's so different when I can just actually it's an it's a it's a valuation of myself and the conversation is within myself rather than like but you were shitty. And I know that has helped me so much moving out of breakups and moving out of like, I don't know, like painful situations, because I thought like what the, the conversation isn't needed anymore. It's, it's within me. So I don't know. they reminded me a little bit of what you
0: just said. Well, well what, what you're speaking to is beautiful. So the example that I was giving was the example of a protection boundary. Mm-hmm. So you're triggered and I'm modulating and moderating what is coming into me. That's my protection boundary, right? So you're actually speaking to the other half of the dynamic, which is great because we want to balance everything. You're speaking to the containment boundary, which is moderating what comes out of me. So I, we can work on both sides. I can work on being the person that can just regulate you when you're triggered, but I can also work on being the person that can regulate and maintain connection when I'm triggered. And so the containment boundary is like being able to separate these streams of sensation and, and, and own them going, I'm I'm feeling anger and under that I'm feeling scared and I have a story I'm making up that you're going to abandon me. And I know it's not true, but this is all that's happening to me. I am now filtering what's coming out of me that in a way is going to make it easier for you to receive. I'm maintaining my boundary. And then you're, you're able to be able to be with me now in a way that's going to support both of us too. So, and then if we're in a relationship where we're both doing this, we're both able to do this and not in this like. Robotic, You know, everyone thinks that we're doing authentic relating <laughs> in NBC. We have to speak like fucking robots. It's not. When you get good at it, it's so elegant and so mm-hmm. under the radar. It's really, really beautiful when people get elegant at it. And so I definitely, I don't teach any language patterning in, in my courses. I teach structures um, of how we how we embody these skills. So if, we, if we're in a relationship where we're both doing this, we're now in a healing relationship we're now in a relationship where we're, we're starting to get those reps of regulatory experiences. We're starting to rewire our nervous system. It becomes easier and easier and easier and easier and easier. And over time we become more and more and more secure. We enter into parasympathetic or, or, um, ventral vagal to use mm-hmm. polyvagal theory mm-hmm. nervous system states, which is where we're the most spontaneous, the most creative. And then to circle back to one of your questions earlier, this is where security becomes really fucking sexy, where we get turned on from a relaxed state. We get turned on from a state where I'm so calm and my body's in a state of calmness and I'm in a state of ease and flow and spontaneity and I can laugh and play. And from that place, I'm getting hard or you're getting wet. From that place, we're lovemaking. There's no urgency from that place, it's like hours of lovemaking. There's no urgency which is going to cause premature ejaculation in a man, yeah. which is going to cause a lot of, pre- you know, pressure buildup, which may, good, may cause peak orgasms, but they're like little sneezes mm-hmm. in the body versus like the relaxed spaciousness, which causes valley orgasms that just like it's an orgasmic state we're in. We're not having orgasms. We are an orgasm, you know, yeah. and life starts to become like that. It's like an immersion into pleasure versus like this like fiery zzz, you know but ver- this is like being being like kayaking gently down a river and being immersed by the sounds and the birds and like the nature and the green and the hum and the the water flowing and being like so immersed in that experience that it's like it's altering versus going on a roller coaster you know, going to a man-made construction amusement park and having a two and a half minute roller coaster ride—you know—that's the—that's—that's that's what we've decided is sexy. You know, whereas I—I'd rather be on the river. To me, that's sexy. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I love that. This is so beautiful. To wrap it all up, I think the only language pattern that I that I teach or that I use is that I notice I'm feeling. Because it's what we were talking about in the beginning, it creates a little bit of distance and now I can relate to it. Like, I notice I'm feeling angry, right? That's a very different statement than I'm getting angry, right? I notice I'm feeling angry right there. There's a little bit of distance. That means that I can relate to it and we can together relate to my anger, but it's not something that has I'm completely identified or encompassed with. And it's also not a dissociation. I'm very, yeah. I'm in I manage to notice and feel and, and and somatically feel the anger. So I'm not dissociating. I'm not doing this mindfulness of like, I'm not my anger. No, I notice I'm angry. I'm very much angry, but I'm no, I'm noticing it's happening. And so yeah. that's, I love bringing at least like that tiny tool to people because it's just such a powerful way to create a little bit of distance in the conversation. And it's not an attack. It's just a observation.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. To me, to me, the, the the fundamental point that you're making there is that this creates a little bit of distance. It creates an object of the experience rather than a subject. I am I am anger. I am experiencing yeah. anger. Um, but I'm noticing this great. But I also might say I'm experiencing it. So that to me, right. it's the actual right. the structure of it right. that's important rather mm-hmm. than the actual language. Yeah. And so you're talking about at the emotional level. I'll do that at the cognitive level. I'm making up. I have a story. I'm imagining. Yeah, yeah. These are all creating distance around my meaning making. Yeah. I'm noticing is, is a beautiful one as well. I'm noticing this emotion arising. So I'm experiencing, I'm having an experience of however it may occur, but, but you're right. You know, yeah. these are important, yeah. important tools. And that's when we can become fluid and playable. I say I'm imagining I'm making up all the damn time, you know, yeah. cause I want, I want to own that. It's my meaning making, not necessarily my reality or my truth.
2: Yeah. yeah. Damien, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this, like, rich, deep conversation. This is the level I desire to to learn at and to converse at and to be challenged at. And I am so deeply grateful for you being here today and, and, and showing up as you have. Like, thank you. Thank you. What the way? <laughs> I'm receiving this. <laughs> receiving
1: it. Yeah.
2: yeah. If people want to learn more about you, want to find out more about you, how can they, uh, where can they go? Because this like, course sounds so good. Where do they need to go?
0: Yeah, so I'm still in this like process of getting everything tightly sorted out. Um, so one place where they're definitely kept in the loop is on Facebook, uh, Damien Bolaire. I don't have a page. I'm actually approaching my 5,000 limit soon, so I don't know what I'm gonna do when that happens. Um, but that's one place, but my website is evolutionary relating.org.org. And I like.org. I didn't realize when I got it cause.com was already taken, but I liked org because for me, I have a, a phrase and we didn't really go there this session and that's totally fine. But for me, what I really am passionate and curious about is organismic consciousness. So I have a oh, phrase I where I that. say the future is organismic and, um, so the .org for me represents evolutionary relating .dot organismic, and I love organismic because it's orgasm, organism. What, what are we talking about here? What
2: is it? <laughs>
1: that's
0: that's for next time.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love that. I love that. I can't wait to learn more about that too. Yeah,
0: and then on my website, if it's it's going to be overhauled again early next year, um, and a whole new system put in place. But for now, on my website, if you, there's a course you go to courses and you go to fundamentals of authentic relating there's an interest form that you can put your name down and i the next courses will be mid-january or something they come up i'm currently i've just started two of them running two at a time now um yeah it's a seven week seven week course into a whole set of uh relating skills um which are gender neutral they're, non, they're non-polarized skills, yet they can be a, applied to to polarity. You know, we can learn. And, and so it's learning a set of skills that then can be used in your own way to create. So to have conscious volition around intimacy. So intimacy is not something that happens to us. It's something that we can create and we have choice around it.
2: I love that. I love that. That sounds so exciting. I, I can't wait to sign up myself.
0: <laughs> Sweet. I'd love to have you in it
2: so cool thank you so much Damien for your time and I wish you a wonderful day thanks
0: Sophie
1: thank you so much my loves for listening to another episode of the deeper podcast if you enjoyed this please give us a share on your social media write us a review or pass along to even just one person who needs to hear this If you want to stay connected, head on over to my Instagram, sophie.yosefina, or even better, hop onto my mailing list at sophieyosefina.com so you never miss a thing. Oh, and by the way, these conversations are now also posted on my YouTube channel. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you again next week.